If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. You're welcome to use the same version I'll be reading from. John chapter 20. Let's read the story this morning. John 20, we'll start in verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe me. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity now to look at this story. I do pray that, Father, as we contemplate what took place, I pray, Lord God, you would speak to us today. Help us, Father, to see the resurrected Savior. Help us, Lord, to believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can forgive them, can't we? We can forgive the disciples, I mean, for not believing at first, can't we? Not understanding. I mean, after all, what in the world option was there? Mary Magdalene, not believing her eyes at first, assuming he must have been someone else. We, we can understand that, can't we? Assuming somebody had stolen the body. What other explanation could there have been? We could uh, certainly understand Thomas for refusing to believe. Most of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, would have said the same thing. I have to see it with my own eyes. We can forgive them for that unbelief because they had an excuse. As we read just a minute ago in verse number 9 of, of John chapter 20, as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They didn't understand the Old Testament on the subject of the resurrection. They didn't understand that it was something that was required. They didn't understand that. And did you catch that? That's what John said. He must rise again from the dead. They didn't understand it at first, but they did catch on, and they did understand it eventually. And once they did, they blasted it across the world and made it the centerpiece of their message that they trumpeted far and wide. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Acts chapter 2, the centerpiece of their message, the, the first message that was preached, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. This past Friday night, I spoke on the topic of what Jesus could not do. The crowd at the foot of the cross taunted him on the cross. They told him to come down from the cross. Save yourself if you're the Messiah. But as we learned from that study, that was something he could not do. He had come to save his people from their sins. The only way he could do that was to go to the cross. He had come to wash away your sins and mine. Nothing but the blood could accomplish that. And so he could not do that. He could not come down from the cross. But hallelujah, it's Easter Sunday morning. We get to see the second part of the video. We get to hear the end of the story. The fact is we see something else here that Jesus could not do. We've been talking about it all morning. Have you caught on to it? We've sung about it in all the songs that we've sung about. We read about it in scripture a minute ago. We just saw it in a video. It's even depicted up here in this beautiful uh, setting that we have up here. And thank you to Ray and to Sue for the... Wonderful work on that and anybody else who worked on that. We've been talking about it all morning. What was the second thing that Jesus could not do? He could not stay in that grave. He could not stay in the grave. It was simply not possible. That's what John meant when he said he must rise again from the dead in verse number nine. It's also what Peter meant when he preached in his very first sermon that God had raised Jesus up, quote, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He could not stay in that grave. Now, for just a minute this morning, let me give you three reasons why I think that's so. Three reasons why I think he could not have stayed in that grave. Number one, he could not have stayed in that grave because he was alive. Now, I know that might seem a little bit simplistic, but it's true. 
living people don't stay in graves. He was alive. Think about the verses we read. Verse number 16 says, he spoke to her. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He called her by name, Mary. In verse number 16, he was alive. She could touch him. She apparently threw her arms around him and clung to him. In verse number 17, he was alive. Verse number 19 tells me that he appeared to the disciples on Sunday evening and he showed them his hands and his side. Why would he do that? Because it would have identified to them that this was the same person that they had just watched a couple of days earlier as they put nails through his hands. They had watched him die. They had watched as a soldier proved that he was dead by thrusting a spear into his side. And so as he showed them his hands and his sides, he was saying, look, it is me. I am the same person. Living people uh, have hands and feet, but spirits don't. I'm alive. I'm alive. As they felt the warmth of blood flowing through his veins and beneath his skins, it was an announcement. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I am the same man. I am alive today. Luke's gospel expands on this account. He says in Luke chapter 24, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Interesting that Luke the physician would be the one who gave that additional detail. Because that would have meant something to him. He was alive. You know, several times after his resurrection, Jesus ate with his disciples. Don't you think that's an interesting little detail in the Bible? He ate with his disciples. Luke chapter 24, while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. Luke tells the story of two of the disciples that were on their way to the road, on the Emmaus road, on their way to a city called Emmaus or a town called Emmaus. And uh, as they were walking along, they knew about the, the, the crucifixion and they had heard the words that Jesus had his body was missing and they were distressed and they were talking about it. And all of a sudden, Jesus was there with them and walked along with them. He talked with them. He shared the scripture with them. And then the Bible says he went where they were going and he sat down and he ate a meal with them. He ate with them. If you still have your Bible open to the book of John, you can slip over one chapter to chapter 21. And if your Bible is like mine, it probably has headings over each of the sections there. And my Bible there in John chapter 21 has a heading there that says breakfast by the sea. Because that's what happened there. Jesus roasted some fish. He built a fire. He roasted fish. And he had breakfast with the disciples. And you have to ask yourself, what is the significance of all this eating? Why was he eating all the time? And it was simply because he was showing them, I am alive. I'm not a ghost. I'm a real living human being. Ghosts don't eat. Spirits don't eat. If there are uh, ghosts, I don't think there are. But nonetheless, he was alive. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them uh, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I know we talk about this every Easter. I know some of you think this is the only thing we ever talk about. But the fact is, it's important. If you attend here throughout the year, you'll know that we don't just talk about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Because every single Sunday, we're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the church changed its day of worship from the Old Testament Sabbath on the seventh day of the week to the, to the New Testament Lord's Day, the first day of the week, simply because we're thankful and praising God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that took place on that day. It's important. 
Jesus was and is alive. There is no fact of history more attested to than that. There is no fact of history more personally important to you than that. We need to get our mind around it. The Bible says you cannot ever see God. The Bible says you cannot ever be saved. The Bible says you will never enter heaven without believing that. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He was alive. And so the first thing I would suggest to you this morning is Jesus could not stay in the grave because he was alive. Number two. Jesus could not stay in the grave because of who he was. Because of who he was. Well, who was that preacher? Well, he was God. He was God. We know that, do we not? He was God. He is God. And here's the thing that's significant about that. And the thing that I think that we really need to stop and think about this morning. The fact is, God is a big God. God is big. We talked Friday evening about the truth. God can do anything. You believe that, right? We all believe that. Few of us would say we don't believe that. We mentioned the fact that the scriptures ask over and over again, is anything too hard from God? And the answer always comes back, no. Nothing is too hard from God. But why is it then that we, in our minds, try to make him little? Why is it then that we, in our minds, try to dumb him down? Why do we lay out limits and say to ourselves, well, I can believe this about God, but I can't believe that. I can believe Jesus lived a wonderful life, some might say. I can believe that he did some wonderful and even miraculous things. I can believe that he taught wonderful and powerful truths. Few people have trouble believing those things. But what about the virgin birth? What about that one? I can't quite get my mind around that, some might say. Raising the dead? Oh, come on. That's That's just a story. Couldn't really have happened. It's not possible. And his own resurrection? Well, that's just not realistic at all. I need a more rational explanation than that, some people would say. And by rational, they obviously mean something that doesn't include God. Because the fact is, God can do anything. Paul was witnessing to Agrippa one time, and he asked a very searching question. He said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Why indeed? Why in the world would it be the slightest bit surprising? What good would a God be? Who could not? Why would you want one who could not raise the dead? You know, the world is filled with people who live good lives. They're everywhere. If that's all Jesus was good for, then he wasn't anything special. There were and are many great teachers who have lived and died throughout the history of mankind. They're actually somewhat ubiquitous. They're commonplace. They're everywhere. If that was it, if that's all Jesus has going for him, that he was a good teacher, well, then he's not much better or any better than any number of professors and learned men and women who have lived down through history. History even has lots of people who have done great things, even somewhat miraculous things. And so even if that was all Jesus had going for him, although he would be in good company, he would just not be anything unique. But the fact is Jesus was and is God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, bodily. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. And because he was God, he could not stay in that grave. 
He could not stay in that grave. Look how he himself put it. These are the words of Jesus. He said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. If anybody of you in this room were to say say that to me this morning, I'd say, "Okay, let me see that. Because none of you can do it. None of us. Only God. Only God could say what Jesus said right there. He could not stay in the grave because he was God. Number three, Jesus could not stay in the grave because justice was now satisfied. Justice was now satisfied. You know, there are seven statements made by Jesus from the cross. Well, seven that we have record of in the Bible. It's possible he said other things from the cross that the Holy Spirit did not choose to include in the Bible, but we know of seven things he said. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34 then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 43, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That was to the thief on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Matthew 27, verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? John 19, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Ah, the import of those seven sayings from the cross. Amazing truth. But one in particular, one in particular is just about the most spectacular sentence that has ever been uttered. Three little words. It is finished. You've heard it before. You've probably heard it in an Easter sermon. You've probably heard it from me in every Easter sermon I've ever preached. It is finished. An English translation of a Greek word to telestai, which literally means paid in full. Finished. The debt is paid. Now we know that God is perfectly just, do we not? And that's why as sinners we cannot enter his presence. We know that. We know uh, that we cannot see heaven. He is holy and just and sin is a problem that simply must be dealt with. And God says that the penalty, the just penalty for your sin and mine is death. I didn't make that up. God said it. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And we know also, don't we, that we're all imperfect sinners. You do know that, right? You're not one of those silly people who thinks you've never sinned. I've met people like that. I remember one time talking with a woman who was adamantly proclaiming to me that she had never sinned. Never. But I could tell, even as she protested her innocence to me, that I could tell from her eyes that she knew it wasn't true. She knew it wasn't true. We're all sinners. Have you ever lied? Even once? Even a little white lie? Ever ripped off the government by not paying your taxes? Ever got paid under the table? Your giggles convict you. (laughs) Ever taken something that was not yours? Stole? 
How about from the office? Ever picked up one of those pens or pencils that's laying there? They still use pencils. Ever been angry with somebody else? Ever hated somebody? Ever wanted something that belonged to somebody else? Have you ever looked at another man, another woman, and desired them sexually? Have you ever, even for a split second, allowed something to occupy your mind and become more important in your mind than God? Any of those things true of you? If you're like most of us, if you're like all of us, really, you have to answer yes to at least some of those. Probably all of them. Probably all of them. See, that means we're guilty of disobeying God's commandments. And we're sinners. And God said, the only acceptable penalty for sin is death. He didn't originally create death. He created the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and everything was perfect and good. He looked at it and he said, it's good, it's good. There's nothing good about death. Death wasn't there. Death was not part of the equation until Adam and Eve sinned. And then death came. A result of sin. The penalty that had to be exacted for sin. But here... Now, it's paid for. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, the penalty was wiped away. It's paid for. Debt is paid completely and in full. And now a just judge, and we just got done saying a minute ago that God is a just judge. A just judge has to look down now and say, there's no need for the penalty. Because the reason for the penalty has been done away with. It's been taken care of. Death's purpose. Jesus couldn't stay in the grave because there was no longer any reason to be there. Because the reason for death was done away with. Justice has been satisfied. Well, there's three reasons why Jesus could not stay in the grave. Number one, he was alive. Number two, he was God. And number three, his death did away with the need for death. The need for the grave. We mentioned in the introduction this morning that the disciples did not initially understand these things. And we can understand that. And we can forgive them for that. After all, who ever heard such a thing? At least in their day. Somebody resurrecting from the grave of their own power. Such things just did not happen. But I have to wonder, what excuse do people have today? People who are enlightened and educated and intelligent. What excuse do they have for not believing? After all, people today have had the evidence for the resurrection for 2,000 years. Multiplied millions of times it has been proclaimed. All of us have heard it hundreds of times. Think in your mind how many times the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed around the world on this day and this day alone. Think about it. Nothing has been more attested to by history. Nothing has stronger evidence. What is our possible reason for not believing that he is alive? I ask you this morning, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You must believe it. Look at that last verse of John chapter 20, if your Bible's still open there. Notice why John said he wrote these things. Notice that he said that he wrote them so that you would believe. And notice that he said believing is the way to life. You must believe it today. You must believe it. If you came into this service this morning as an unbeliever, And I don't know all of you this morning. Some of you may have come in that way. I must say to you this morning, you came in dead. That's what the Bible says. But if you will but believe, you can go out just as alive as Jesus was and is today. Will you believe it today? The happy morn has come, triumphant from the grave. 
the Savior leaves the tomb, almighty now to save. Who now accuseth them for whom the surety died? Or who shall those condemn whom God hath justified? Christ hath the ransom paid. The glorious work is done. On him our help is laid. The victory is won.